1: From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. The summer is always a great time to cast the rod and reel to fish Mississippi's waters. Just about every corner of the state has a place to enjoy this great summer activity. So today we'll talk with Dennis Rickey from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, about where to fish and what's biting this time of year. Dr. Major is ready to take your pet questions. Libby always likes to hear about your latest encounters with nature. So join our conversation this morning with your phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 You can email animals at mpbonline.org. If you ever miss Creature Comforts on Thursdays, it repeats Saturday mornings at 6. So, good morning, Libby. Hope you're doing well this morning.
2: Good
1: morning, yes. What do you have for us today?
2: Okay, one thing, I guess, after that great rain that I had yesterday, I don't know how many people had it where they were, but that was uh, we've been waiting for chanterelle mushrooms to come up and have found very few. So, we were really pleased to have that rain. I think it rejuvenated everybody, and the birds were happy this morning. Uh, insects are out everywhere, and if you're an insect watcher like I am, lots of neat things to see, moths at night. I've got a um, a white, my house is painted white under the porches, and the uh, porch light attracts a lot of uh, wonderful moths every night. And I thought maybe I should mention that to people. That's a great place to go and just see what moths you have haunting around your place and um tufted tit mice fledged at our house this week and uh that's a great little bird to watch um i've noticed that some people get disappointed tufted tit mice about the same size as the bluebird, and they like a bluebird house real well and i know that some people that are hoping to attract bluebirds get disappointed when the tufted tit mice (laughs) takes up residence but i think they're Every bit is is cool, a little bird, and a lot of fun to watch. So I think we just have to kind of take what we get. But my Tufted Tip Mice, uh, the fledglings were out, and it, it looks like an annoyance, but I'm sure this is how it goes when you've got—there were three—well, ba- they're not—you know, it's hard to call them babies anymore, juveniles, jumping around, driving the parents crazy <laughs> while they're trying to feed— and uh, the kids are sitting over there on the branch just squawking, squawking, squawking. And so the, the daddy very patiently, daddy and mom both, were taking um, sunflower seeds over to feed them and putting them in their mouth. And it was like, so and they'd come over here and get your own. But uh, they persisted in <laughs> just staying on the branch and being fed. And a touch of titmice usually leave the feeder anyway. They'll pick up a seed and go over to a close tree and put it down and knock on it and you know crack the shell and then eat whatever they want to eat and sometimes they'll kind of hide it in the bark of trees and I noticed that the babies were all sitting in the same tree where the tufted titmice usually kind of stash extra seed so they, they were learning the feeding routine real well but again that's a good bird you might want to look up and watch for and gray and green tree frogs and, um, I hope you have them on your porch if you want them i've I enjoy them, but um I'm pleased that they're not too close to my head in the bed at night because they can be they can be obnoxious at two a m as my <laughs> husband says, so um, he has earplugs by the bed just in case he needs them with the tree fly, tree frogs are or um Making a very loud noise. They've got some places where they can get on our porch that creates an echo. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, that's kind of what's going on at my house, and I imagine at everybody's. Lots of caterpillars turning into butterflies. Um, this is a good time to get out your um, guidebooks and start figuring out what you've got in your yard.
1: So um, I recently uh, visited my friends out in uh, Palm Springs, California. Uh, we ended up the visit by going to San Diego. So me as a big zoo person, obviously, uh, the San Diego Zoo, I got to go there. So that was on uh, my, my zoo bucket list. It's an amazing zoo. I mean, that thing is its just a huge, huge zoo. And they do a really a great job uh, with uh, you know giving the animals kind of a natural habitat to roam around in. <clears throat> we got there, uh, I think, in just enough time, although it was funny. When we got there, there's a tour that you can take on a bus. So we're going through the bus, and every time we would stop somewhere, the guy invariably would say, you might want to come back here a bit later this afternoon when the animals will be a little bit more active. Uh, so, anyway, we saw them. And, and sure enough, the, as we were leaving later that afternoon, the animals were quite a bit more active. But, uh, you know, for, for a zoo, that's one of the risks you take sometimes is that the animals, you know, um, they need to get out of the heat and such uh, every once in a while. So uh, we were lucky, though, and got to see most of it. But, again, great zoo. uh wouldn't would uh, uh, recommend it for anybody who's a big zoo fan. Um, and, um,
2: I remember the California condors there yes. had an incredible, um, setting and it's the only time I've ever really gotten good close up looks at them.
1: I can't remember if it was, I think that was, but I got a good picture of, of one of the birds of prey actually eating some carrion, I guess it was, oh, or I mean, I'm good. sure it was pr- supplied I saw too. some of
2: your pictures online. I'm have to look at some more. Yeah. yeah and, so, the giraffes, oh. and the giraffes, the giraffes were just. Incredible, almost too friendly. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: and the giraffe has always been my favorite animal since when I was a kid, for whatever reason. Uh, so that's that, you know that's my way to judge whether zoo is any mm-hmm. good or not. If it's got giraffes, it gets my thumbs up. So, um, what about the fireflies? So have they pretty much moved out of oh, the okay. area? Okay,
2: and they should be um, synchronous fireflies should be blinking around Oxford and Waldoxey ought to be having a good show now. I haven't heard from anybody much this week although I got a um a a letter from a guy in Alabama. His letter was forwarded on to mine, or email. I always call emails letters now, I guess, but (laughs) yeah, he got an email from a a, a guy in Alabama that has discovered them too, so I think we've got several sightings now from Alabama, some of which came from radio listeners that um, uh, they've got as many as we do. So for our Alabama listeners, North Mississippi may be lighting up with synchronous fireflies, but there's still plenty of time to see everything else. We had uh, uh, all kinds of treetop flashers last night and what we call heebie-jeebies or what Lynn actually named them, heebie-jeebies. And they, they kind of dart around and they flash almost as fast as the synchronous fireflies. And they're up higher, so they're still out right now. And, um, and then the common fireflies are out at um, dusk still. Well, I guess maybe that's a little later now, 7.30, 8 o'clock, you can see them all around.
1: You also went to uh, the the event there behind the um, uh, craft center on, in in uh, Ridgeland, and I think I like the 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 treetop. I mean, I like the sinks. Don't get me sure, wrong, that's but cool. Yeah. But I did like the the treetop ones
3: as well. So. Yeah, they're so
2: bright. Yeah.
3: That's uh, Java, I believe, uh, you uh, saw a Cooper's hawk or tell us your story. Well, yeah, I just wanted to mention um, a good friend, Eddie Wright. He's been on Deep South Diner a couple of times uh, with Eddie Wright uh, Barbecue. Hey, he posted some pictures on Facebook about how he had at least about three Cooper's hawks. Well, we, nobody knew what they were at the time, Libby and a couple other other um, bird uh, people, uh, Noticed that they were Cooper's hawks, but they were just on a, along his fence line, like three just perched. And he has small dogs and um, and things at his house, and he was just like, "I need some help. I don't know what to do. Should I pop them with the pellet gun, or is that is that illegal?" I thought that was kind of interesting with all, all those kind of questions yeah. that were popping up on his uh, on his Facebook feed. But it was just something to see as far as just in the neighbor residential neighborhood, you have these like birds of prey and. And it was three of them just, like, on his fence. And he said they were there for a while. It's like they weren't just, you know, some birds will kind of fly away when you clap at them or something. Like, they were sitting and perched. So I I tagged Libby on it to see what she would say. And she, you know, like like I said, identified them as uh, young young Cooper's Hawks.
2: Yeah, I think it you- they were probably siblings from a nest, is what yeah. I'm guessing. That they were all right there together, and they may have been waiting for their mom and dad to <laughs> pop some food in their mouth.
3: And I actually was that kind of um, unusual, just you know, in a residential area to see those kind of kind of birds just kind of hanging out, pretty much.
2: Often that's where they'll be. They, you know, and they even eat pigeons and they'll eat doves. So anything that's in the backyard, but they are they are birds hunting other birds primarily. Yeah. So the, and I don't think the dogs would have anything to fear from them because they they for one thing they're a small hawk and they're zeroed in on a good bird snack.
3: Yeah, that's honest. a lot of yeah. a lot of the comments too where cuz he he has a couple yeah. of dogs but one is like a smaller dog and he was like, "Oh, he's going to get your dog."
2: <laughs> yeah, I noticed there was a lot of that fear, yeah. Yeah. And Troy might want to address that further too.
1: Uh, so, good morning, Dr. Major. How are things going at the clinic? Uh,
2: I hadn't made it there yet. I had okay. a flat tire. So
0: <laughs> Uh-oh. That's the re- reason I'm late, okay? All right. But anyway, I- I'm headed to the clinic now.
1: So, you got your, your tire repaired. You're back on your way.
0: Yes, yes. It's always something, okay? <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. You know, back to the Hawks, I agree with Livy, They were probably waiting on a meal from their parents but uh there's some larger hawks that certainly could possibly uh damage even if they didn't take it off the the talons are so sharp if they tried to take off a, a very small small dog it could be an issue these were probably harmless i would say
1: all right By the way, that was a time for me to mention, uh, always big thanks to Libby and Dr. Major. They've been doing this show since the beginning, which is, gosh, I don't even want to think about how long we've been doing this show. Over 10 years, I think. Yeah,
2: it's Uh, about 15, I think. I
3: have have a few pictures from the past I'm going to pull (laughs) up and show you guys. I've been holding these pictures, I guess, right for this moment.
2: (laughs) I know we haven't aged, yeah, I'm sure.
1: But the fact that Dr. Major, despite having a flat tire, is still willing to come on the air with us. (laughs) Dr. Major, we certainly appreciate what you do for us each week, and Libby as well uh, the show wouldn't be the same without the both of you so we do certainly appreciate uh, what you do for us it is time for our first break of the hour when we get back we'll be talking about fishing with our guest dennis rickey fisheries biologist at the mississippi department of wildlife fisheries and parks dr major ready to help with your pet questions libby likes to hear about brushes and encounters with nature got a full line of, of phone calls ready to go as well so stay tuned You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. Today we're talking fishing around the state with our guest Dennis Rickey from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries and Parks. If you want to join the conversation with a question or comment, you can call us at one 877 Ring. It's one 877 672 Email animals at org. We've got some phone lines to get to, so let's start in Natchez. Francis is first up. Good morning, Francis. You're on the air. Go ahead.
5: Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm an average... Uh, <clears throat> uh, I love the bass fish, and uh, I've been wondering this ever since I started. How come largemouth bass are down south and uh, Large mouth bass are up north, but you never see any small mouth bass down south. And uh it's not because of the depth of the water because we've got eighty sixty foot uh areas around here where the water is sixty to eighty foot deep. And my next question is, what can you do about these horse flies? <laughs>
6: <laughs> well I'll I'll tackle the uh the largemouth bass and smallmouth bass question. I don't know about the horse flies. Um, smallmouth bass have an affinity, a preference for rock, and so therefore, the, and cooler water. So therefore, the only good place to fish for them in Mississippi is northeast Mississippi, pickwick up around that area. In, a, in our streams, we have spotted bass. Okay. And spotted bass can also be found in, in lakes and in reservoirs. But, so that's why you don't see smallmouth bass all over Mississippi. You'll just find them in the, in the northeast if you want to fish for them.
1: All right, Francis, thanks for calling in this morning. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines next, our friend Roger, who calls in from Florence. Good morning, Roger.
5: Well, I wanna, I'm back on a different subject. I'm sorry, but the birds... I've uh, been watching some birds and a bird feeder, which is one of those that you stick on a window and then you can look from the inside and birds come to it. And one of the birds that comes to it is, has been identified by a friend as a brown-headed cowbird. And I'd never seen one before. Oh, they're really, yes. <laughs> they're sort of attractive. Uh, well, they're sort of ugly, too. But... Uh, <laughs> A cowbird, and and I've heard about cowbirds and used to think I saw them, but these i looked at closely. So that's interesting. Another thing is, though, if you get up anywhere near the window, they see you through the window. So my question is, what can you do to put maybe a piece, I don't know how you get a piece of one-way glass, but you see them on television when they're interviewing criminals, but, but... What can you put up there on the window on the inside so you can get right up close and look at them and they can't see you?
2: You know what? Um, There might be a way to camouflage like that, but um, you could try some of that camouflage that turkey hunters use where it looks like little strips of camouflage material and you could peek through it. But I I tell you, an easier way that I know works for people, and I've kind of done it too, is just to get them acclimated to people being in there. If they get used to you being fairly close to the glass and then they'll do it. You can even put, you know, a toy or a mannequin or any kind of uh doll or something close to the window so they get used to seeing those eyes there and uh I've heard people use a picture out of a book or something like that. It's just so they get used to there being something in there. And try not to have a lot of movement. If you're if you're sitting there watching and they come to eat, it, the, the stiller you are, the better luck you'll have watching them through those.
5: Thank you.
2: Yeah.
1: All right, Roger, thanks for the call. Next we'll go to Yazoo City. Christy's called in today. Good morning. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Uh, good
4: morning. My name is Christy from Yazoo City, and I have a two-year-old Rhode Island Red that's sick. Her comb is bent over, and she waddles like a duck, and her tummy is real full. And I I I was recommended to give her a soaking bath for 30 minutes in Epsom salt water, warm water. And that didn't help very much, and I was wondering if you had a suggestion to what to do next.
0: You know that's real a real issue. Trying to figure out what to do in this case. Uh, Is she passing feces?
4: She has yes, and she's her poop is real runny, and uh, it's it's she's not real clean right now.
0: Okay. Because of her poop. Uh, Has she been playing eggs?
4: Up until up until now, yes. She does not, con- I, I, I only can say convulse, but move like she's trying to lay an egg. And after I gave her the bath, I put ivermectin under her wings and under her butt. That was recommended. And she's not be- any better.
0: I, I'm actually worried about her being possibly egg-bound, uh, which, which can't happen even in a larger bird. We see it in uh, small uh, birds like cockatiels that sort of thing but it's possible If you have a veterinarian that can look at her I'd say get her in let, let them look at her and see what see what might be done okay it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't sound very good and I'm sorry but um, without seeing her I don't know that I can do anything else okay
4: all right sir
1: thank you all right Christy thanks for that
0: better advice. Back back to the horse flies. Okay. <laughs> They're very much a problem this time of year. Old timers have told me and I've kind of watched it and to a certain extent I think it is true. They tend to disappear after the first full moon in June. So be on the watch out for that. And that's again I don't know any scientific fact, but again, things that people see it think about certain sites. All right. You no,
2: know, I'm interpreting that to mean probably the, their season is mostly the first half of June, huh? Let's hope that's yeah. true, because I noticed that you, you do have them really bad for a while and then they do tend to leave. I'm going to watch for that too. Yeah, All right. We'll see what date in June.
1: Uh, very good. I think it's uh we our guest is here. That's why I lost my place here for just a minute. Our guest is Dennis Ricky. Uh and Dennis, thanks for being back on the program with us. In the past you've talked about things like invasive carp and giant salvinia. Are there any new dangers taking over our waters that we need to be concerned about?
6: Let me think now we've got um island apple snails uh on the coast and uh they've been in hideaway lake and another lake uh around picayune but they're in uh oh a sewage treatment lagoon things like that and there escapes from aquariums uh or or you know people get tired of them and it's a big snail it's a land snail <laughs> but uh it uh, lays a pink uh, egg mass, uh, climbs out of the water and lays a pink egg mass. And so um, it's prohibited in Mississippi because it can do severe damage in rice fields. So um, sometimes you see them for sale online. But that's about um, the only aquatic species that I know of right now. Um,
1: Any updates on either the carp or the salvinia?
6: Well, I think we have successfully gotten rid of uh, giant salvinia at uh, Ross Barnett through a variety of techniques and just diligent effort and a lot of surveying. Uh, The carp, we still have research programs going on, and we have a um, reimbursement program for our processors. And we may go to do some other things to try to remove them, but it's, um, you know, I don't As abundant as they are and in an open system like the Mississippi River system, and the Yazoo River system, all you can do is try to just limit the damage. There's no way that we're ever going to adequately get rid of them without a big concerted effort. You know, if somebody comes along and has a nice product for them and Americans start eating them and, and, you know, everybody's the next... It's the newest tilapia, let's say. Uh, uh, we could put a dent in them, you know. So, we're just in the prevention to try to keep from them from spreading to new waters. Which we're, uh, we're Mississippi is working with other states in the Tennessee-Tombigbee Waterway, where you have locks and dam structures. It's a it's a very narrow area where you could use um, light, sound, bubbles, electricity, all those things to deter them. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think we're going to have to come up with a fancier-sounding name so that when they, uh, you know, get served in restaurants, people will think they're getting some sort of gourmet type of thing. <laughs> All right, so let's turn our attention to good things found in waters. Uh, where are the fish biting this time of year in Mississippi?
6: Well, you know, uh, uh, I, I tell people that the best reports that we have are the, uh, the state, uh, the weekly fishing reports which are on our website and uh, you can talk to your friends and you can look at facebook and but we get um reports uh on some lakes we have to have a reliable report on a regular basis uh and we publish those uh each week on the website from um second week of february till into november and uh you know typically they'll say you know it's fishing in the early morning later evening or um, in in deeper lakes off of points things like that where there's there's cooler water um, so I would just refer people to, to those it, it's on uh, under our website under fishing and boating and it's uh, fishing reports and then we have what we we, we translate um, the 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 sampling information that biologists collect when they when they do creel surveys and when they do netting or if they do mostly electrofishing, okay, um, we put that in non-technical terms that people can understand in terms of catch rate per hour, what percent of fish over a certain length or over, you know, a certain weight, and what do people prefer to fish for here, you know, and then um, – you know, whether that population of that particular fish is on the increase, is on the decrease, is it getting, you know, bigger, is it getting heavier, you know, or is it uh, overcrowded? And so that type of thing, and it's, those are called real, R-E-E-L, facts. And there's a wealth of information there. If you want to know what we sampled the lake for and what we found, that's where it is. All right. We're visiting today on Creature
1: Comforts with our guest Dennis Ricky. We're talking about fish but also looking for any kind of uh, wildlife questions that you have and observations and also pet questions for Dr. Major. By the way, the next full moon in June is June 14th. So hopefully uh, after that the horseflies will dissipate. We won't have to worry about those uh, too much anymore. Hey, if you want to join our conversation this morning, the number is 1877 MPB ring. It's 1877 672 You can always send an email as well. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more after this.
6: Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult. And yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast
2: everywhere.
0: You're listening to an Encore presentation on MPB Think Radio. We're not able to take your call right now, but you can always reach us through email. The address is animals at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio.
1: You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hotfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're visiting today with our guest, Dennis Rickey. He is fisheries biologist from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Join our conversation this morning with your phone call. The number is one mpb ring It's 1-877-672-672. Seven four six four. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Let's go back to the phone lines and say good morning to Rebecca called in from Gulfport today. Good morning, Rebecca. You're on the air with us. Go ahead.
4: Good morning. I, I was listening to MPB, of course, on the way to pick up a customer the other day, and bird songs came on. And I finally heard the whistle for the bird that so obnoxiously calls at 2 o'clock in the morning in my backyard. <laughs> and
2: it is a Chuck Wills widow. Oh, oh you know, I, I hate to say this, but you are so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I I really miss, we used to have Chuck Wills widows. They are, they are declining in numbers all over their range, as far as we know. And uh, they like a habitat, kind of a grown-up feel. But it's been a discussion about Chuck Wills widows not uh, being around. So I'd love to have your Chuck Wills widows. That's all I can say. I'm sorry that they, if they wake you up. But, yeah.
4: They're, they're, they're very loud they very very loud. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and where do you live? Um I live in Gulfport just just the north side of the interstate, but we have 8 acres and then the majority of that is natural
2: woodland and we keep it that way. And you've got some open area. Yeah. Well, that is area. one of your rewards. So, I'm I'm sorry if it wasn't the reward that you wanted. But um now, it, But I also I also want to tell you I had I, we got red-tailed hawks
4: out here uh-huh. and I was thumbing up my driveway one day and one flew over the front of my car and had a poor little black kitten in its claws. So, we do not let my dog out of the house without being on a leash. <laughs>
1: All right, Rebecca, I agree with you. I think the earlier it is, the louder the bird chirps. So uh, hopefully that they won't be uh, too much of a a hassle for you. And we appreciate you uh, calling us this morning on Creature Comforts. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines. Next, we'll go to Al, who's called in this morning. Go ahead, Al. You're on the air with us.
7: Hey, good morning. Uh, I have a a question for your guest there. I love to fly fish for brim and small bass, but... uh, you know, I'm kind of limited on availability uh, to a couple of farm ponds and you know public parks and that kind of thing. And I was wondering, uh, is there a way I could I could get um, a list of some of those uh, like national forests, lakes um, in and around North Mississippi? Like, you know, I know there's a couple in uh, Benton County and Marshall County, but you know i was just I was just looking for other ideas on places where I could find some big brim uh I tend to wet wade or fish from the bank uh and you know instead of using a boat so I was just gonna try to get some ideas for that
6: yeah um i've got a I've got an email at my office that uh covers all the um u s Forest service and Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, water bodies in the state with um, uh, the names and, and the permits that you need to go fish there and, you know, the fees, things like that. So if we get your, your phone number and your email, I will uh, be happy to send it to you. Um, I've got uh, two colleagues that are fly fishermen. So uh, I'll consult with them, and uh, we'll get you some recommendations. Mostly they fish in uh, in streams, you know. They go to streams and, and fly fish.
1: Okay. All right, Al, uh, thanks for the call. What we'll do is we will put you on hold, and if you would, tell our call screener your email address. We'll give that to Dennis, and hopefully Dennis can get that uh, information out to you. So uh, thanks for calling. We'll go ahead and put you back on hold. All right, uh, let's stay on the phone lines. Next, we'll go to James, who's called in from Hendersonville, Tennessee, this morning. Go ahead, James. You're on the air with us.
8: Hello. Uh, good morning, everyone. My name is James. I have a. I thought it was a Cooper's hawk, um, couple that actually laid put made a nest in the tree in front of my house, but I just seen it try to get a rabbit just this second, and I think it was a red tail hawk because it has a red tail on the top part. But all I seen was the bottom part, and it looks all brown. But it tried to get a rabbit just now right in front of me. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was going to get him, but he didn't. The question is, that was the coolest thing I've seen, it like, all week, anyway. um, So the question is, about how long from the time the the hawk lays the egg to the time that they start to fly? Because the other day, I was sitting here on my porch, and I seen the baby, there's only one baby there, and his head, he was pulling meat. Uh, strings of meat from uh, whatever he was eating it from that the mother just uh, dropped off. So about how long from the time that they are the, the eggs have laid to the time they start flying away? Because I have no, I, no idea. It's probably yeah. been a couple of months we've been watching it.
2: Yeah, and most birds are yeah. about a month. The small bird will be you know a couple of weeks as an egg and a couple of weeks as a nestling. There are a few things... Some of the small warblers that really speed that up, but a hawk, yeah, I bet you're right. Six weeks, eight weeks, right about in there. From okay. the time she lays the eggs until they're going to be flying around, a couple months. Okay, of cool. Right on track, and I'll bet that was a red tail that was after the rabbit. Yeah,
8: because it was just the, it was the couple because <clears> that's the only two that we see in the yard. I mean, anywhere around here, um, and yep. it is amazing because. We we thought it was a Cooper's uh, Cooper's hawk because everything was browned underneath. but On top, as soon as it came down to get that rabbit, it was the coolest thing. I, I know I've said that before, but as soon as it came down, I seen the red tail thing, and thinking, that's not a Cooper's. That's not a Cooper's hawk. that's a red tail hawk."
2: You know, we had a show. But yeah, yeah, we had a show a couple weeks ago about falconers, and that's the the kind of excitement that they talk about when they hunt with those hawks. He, James. He, you
8: know, I love life, I love life, and I love uh, all the animals, but we all need to eat, and yeah. so do they. Yeah. So this part of life,
2: part, yeah. part of the social. That's the only thing they can eat, really. They've got to eat meat. All
1: right, James, we appreciate your calling in this morning. Uh, this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, visiting today with Dennis Rickey, a fisheries biologist with the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Uh, Dennis, remind us, who needs a fishing license?
6: Okay, um... Anyone 16 years and old, old and over, needs a fishing license, a statewide fishing license, unless you're going to fish in a private pond and you're a resident. Um, Residents who are 65 and older are exempt. Non-residents are not exempt. So a non-resident of any age... Uh, from 16 up has to have a, a license. Um, some people who are 100% disabled are exempt from a license purchased, and then they just need to prove their disability in their their state of residency. Um, I think that's about it. Uh, people who are 65, if they don't want to uh, – prove their age or if they're disabled and they, and they don't want to carry around all that stuff, they can buy a voluntary $5 license and that will help the agency because they they are then a licensed uh, angler or hunter and so we we can uh, count them uh, towards uh, our federal aid allotment, federal funds allotment. And I do want to say this, uh, that if, if you're a crappie fisherman, or even if you've never crappie fished, we have world-class crappie fisheries in our northern reservoirs: Grenada, Enid, Sardis, Arkabutla. We have people from every state coming to fish there in the springtime when they're spawning. People wait for two or three hours to get it, to launch their boat. That's how good it is, and that's how popular it is. It's a good-eating fish, and so if if you you want to catch a big crappie if you just want to have the thrill of of catching decent sized crappie and it's a great eating fish just just go uh i would recommend that you go sometime in the fall maybe mid September to maybe November the 1st when the crappie come in closer to the shoreline uh springtime is really crowded if you if you want to try to get the spring spawn you better make your reservations about a year in advance wow. <laughs> and uh, be prepared to wait. So uh, just it's one of the little gyms we have in Mississippi that I think is underappreciated, and, and I want to encourage Mississippians to, to take part of it. All right. It has been a busy day on the
1: phone lines this morning, so let's uh, go back to the phones, and we'll start with Rachel in Eupora. Thanks for calling, Rachel. You're on the air. Go ahead.
9: Hey. Um- I grew up, that uh, recording you just played of the bird, I grew up uh, calling that bird, our family called it a whippoorwill.
2: When you break it down, I think it's the same bird. It's when you, Yeah, it's a relative. It's a very similar. Whippoorwill, yeah. And it's very similar to a Chuck Wills I widow. Think. Yes. And I guess that's why they, they kind of named, given the common name, it's... Whippoorwill and chuck Wheels widow. Yes, and they do chuck sound Wheel very similar. Widow. Okay. Yeah, and uh whippoorwills, I think um you're going to find them in greater numbers a little further north than you would the chuck Wheels widow if you look on the map in um, the bird book. Uh-huh. So, are whippoorwills also in decline? Yes, they're are fewer of them. I think any uh-huh. of those it's kind of a prairie sort of a bird. Um you know old bob white quails how how rare are they now people don't hear uh-huh. them very often yeah and those uh the chuck wills widow, the lady that that called in before you was uh, along the coast and i've noticed i've seen uh, reports of um of uh, bob white quail along the same area that she is and it's a pretty much same habitat uh-huh well thank you so much for clearing that up yes
1: Thanks for the call, Rachel. Let's stay on the phone lines. Next, we've got uh, Leonard, who's calling in from Tennessee this morning. Go ahead, Leonard. You're on the air with us.
8: Hey, good morning. Yeah, I had a comment about the Whippoorwill and we call them Poor Will's Widow. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. But uh, one is the northern version and the other is Mm -hmm. the southern version. And one summer, I didn't have an air conditioning inside; the window open, and they, they call all night. And yeah. uh, there was one of each outside my window, and it was like the Civil War—the North against the South. One kept saying and the other kept saying "four-wheel widow," and they argued all
9: night.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Looking on the map, we have both in Mississippi, but um, the um, the uh, whipperwill is going to be more prevalent in the northern parts of the state, yeah.
8: Yeah, I'm, I'm just just the, about two miles north of the Mississippi line in Tennessee. Yeah. But they argued all night. <laughs> <laughs> With poor Will, no, poor Will's <laughs> widow. <laughs> all
1: right, Leonard, thanks for right. calling in this morning and listening to MPB Think Radio. We have to- come to the time for another break. When we get back, we'll talk more about where to fish and where families can do some camping in some state parks. Dennis Rickey is here from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Dr. Major still on the line, ready for your pet questions. You can join the conversation this morning with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one 672 7464 You can email animals at mpbonline.org. We'll wrap the show up after this last break. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest for the day is Dennis Rickey from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Still a little bit of time left to join our conversation with a question or comment at 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email animals at mpbonline.org. Uh, so, Dennis, I think there is an effort made to make um, fishing accessible to all Mississippians. So if you would, tell us a little bit about uh, handicap accessibility at some of the lakes.
6: So at our state fishing lakes and our state park lakes, there's, there's uh, 20 state fishing lakes and 25 state park lakes located around the state. And uh, we have handicap accessible fishing piers. And the restrooms are handicap accessible too. So, someone who's handicapped could go in there, use the restroom facilities, take a shower, um, fish off of a fishing pier. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Uh, and I think now we've got a pet question for Dr. Major coming from Peck Beckett in Poplarville. Go ahead, you're on the air with us. Hey, good morning.
7: I uh, have a little dog. He's a 15 year old doctor. And- and uh, I'd say a week or two ago, he choked on a tree. We were able to the
5: tree that he uh, he seemed fine, but over the weekend, he started having trouble keeping food down. And uh, we brought him to the vet Monday morning, and they did all kind of tests and scans and whatnot. And they said they thought he had some sort of infection. And uh, I was just wondering, could that be like maybe it scratched his throat when he got stuck when it, he it got stuck? Like, even softly, food, he's having a real hard time keeping them down at all. You know, that's something that happens fairly
0: frequently where they get something hung in their throat, and certainly it can scratch or irritate it. Uh, so that probably went ahead and put him on some kind of medication, I imagine. Uh, right. I would suspect an antibiotic would be in order. And sometimes a little steroid might, might help as well. It's hard to say without checking, but yes, it does happen. And of course, his age doesn't help either. I mean, he's right. 15, 15, you said
5: so uh, roughly. We, adopt, we adopted him a few years ago. They were a little
0: fuzzy on age. Right. This would be one thing I would follow your vet's uh, lead on. Sounds like you're doing the right things, and soft food would be in order as well. But good luck with him, and I sure hope he does Okay. Right,
7: right. I was just checking my theory. I appreciate y'all. Y'all have a good day.
1: All right. Beckett, thanks for the call. Um, so, Dennis, I, I love the state parks in Mississippi. I've been to a number of them in the in the central Mississippi area, or at least tried to visit them both for uh, hiking. And a friend of mine and I at uh, Clarko State Park uh, rented a cabin a couple of uh, years ago. So tell us about the state parks. And I guess it's anywhere from, if you want to go out there, primitive camping, I think they call it with a tent and everything, up to cabins. Tell us what some of what our parks have to offer.
6: They have... Um Eighteen of them have lakes that you can, you can fish on. Two of them have hotel-type facilities. That's Roosevelt and, I think, J.P. Coleman. Um, there's a boat dock and boat rental up in the northeast at J.P. Coleman or Tishomingo. There's a canoe trail at Tishomingo. Mm-hmm. There's disc golf. There's primitive camping. Uh, with just water provided, there's uh, uh, camper pads you can pull into with water and electricity provided. There's cabins, rustic cabins, um, some built by the uh, C- uh, Civilian Conservation Corps. Um, some of them have dining facilities. Uh, there's some golf courses, uh I mean, our outdoor digest is just a grid of, of of things you can do, but what you can expect to find, and and at state fishing lakes too, is a nice, clean, safe area that's uh well maintained uh, for you to use. Yeah, and um, we have uh, there's permit fees to to engage in activities there, whether it's boat launching, fishing, camping, pavilion rental is another thing that you could do. Uh, for a reunion or a big you know, family cookout um, and if you, you think you're going to be a frequent visitor to state parks and state fishing lakes you can buy an annual pass which will allow you to go to, to those 44 facilities uh, throughout the year there's annual bank fishing passes and there's um, uh, boat launching passes we offer 30 day camping <coughs> At some facilities, yeah.
2: I get my park pass every year, and it, it pays for itself for sure.
6: Yeah. And I'll say the um,
1: my friend and I did a number of the trails. Uh, when During the pandemic, we both thought it was a good way to avoid going stir-crazy was to get out in nature. Uh, and I'll say that the trails are, are fairly well marked on most of them, although I remember it um, – Paul B. Johnson down there in Hattiesburg we were out there on a trail and it's one of those where you're going along and it was getting a little more grown up or whatever and I thought I don't know if we made the right turn but suddenly we found a park bench or something out there and realized we were on the right tra- uh, track so uh, if you enjoy hiking I would certainly uh, recommend the state parks because I say the trails out there uh, are, are fairly well marked <clears throat> we've got our friend Mikey from Mobile on the line and she's up next good morning Mikey
9: Good morning. I'll try to be quick because it has been a big, big nature thing. It's all been coming to me. <laughs> um, first of all, my friend's surprise, which is the um, local, we've known each other for years, the local corn snake, rat snake, whatever, um, uh, and uh, usually comes out and watches while I do some mowing, which I have a non-motorized mower and I was worried about him or her because I hadn't seen him since the last time I'd mowed the yard. And I, I don't know, I had some kind of something that bugged me for about five weeks. So that's been a while. But the other day I went out and around one of them, it's like it had done it on purpose. Right around the base of one of my urn flower pots, it left a full snake shed. It's just gorgeous. And it's about three and a half or four feet long. Um, So I was very lucky to be able to collect that. But um, the owls, I didn't even know I had owls. I knew that they were here. I've heard them before. But apparently there's been a nest of about three of them that has hatched, and they're just now fledging. Um, Because I've been watching them for about five days now. (laughs) They are hilarious, and they are so far fearless also. Um, are
2: they and are they branching? What I call branching, where they're just spread out around the close to the nest, but sitting out on the branches. I love. Oh to no, see them. no no no! They are they they're, I, they're flying, huh?
9: Well, I thought it was a hawk at first. One of, mm-hmm. the, one of the red tails that, that I've also <laughs> known in this neighborhood for a long time, but uh, you know. Be, but I went, boy, that was really, because it was right outside my window, like six feet away. And I thought, boy, that was really silent, even for a hawk, you know, that flight. And so I watched, and then the next day it came back at about the same time, which is about this time of day.
1: Mikey, we're going to have to hold you there. Sorry that we ran out of time. Always good to hear from you, though. And thanks for the update about what's going on in and around your area. Creature Comforts is a product of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding is provided in part by listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, you can visit creaturecomforts.mpbonline.org. Our show is produced by Jabba Chapman, and our call screener today was Charles, our intern. For Libby Hartfield, Dr. Troy Major, and our guest Dennis Rickey, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned, because up next, it's autocorrect. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.